lysencephaly. This is a migration disorder resulting in a smooth cortex with abnormal neuronal layers. Typically may follow CMV infection. Again, lysencephaly, which is a smooth cortex and it is a migration disorder and maybe follow a CMV infection. Sinusoidal mucosal typically uh, results in expanding airless sinus that is filled with uh, mucus due to sinus ostea obstruction. It's important to distinguish it from tumor. The mucosal has an enhancing rim where tumor would have more solid parenchymal enhancement and the enhancement on the rim of the mucosal is due to inflammatory changes not due to true enhancement of a mass like cancer. Fibromatosis coli is infantile fibromatosis occurs within the sternocleidomastoid muscle appears as a mass on MRI or ultrasound presentation is typically with torticollis and uh, this is related to birth trauma again contracture or a mass within the sternocleidoid muscle appears in the newborn or infantile and uh, typically related to birth trauma. Term vanishing lung bolus emphysema describes what? It describes Sawyer's-James syndrome. Typically imaging finding are unilateral hyperlucent lung in pediatric patient. This is typically post-infectious or obliterative bronchiolitis. So it's post-infectious obliterative bronchiolitis and it's described as vanishing lung bolus emphysema. This is in distinction from shrinking lung or progressive volume loss, which are terms to describe lupus-associated lung disease. This typically present with pleuritic chest pain and pleural effusion. Again, if you have a lupus patient with uh, pleural effusion and pleuritic chest pain, think of shrinking lung associated to lupus and it present with progressive volume loss. B-mode ultrasound or B-mode imaging is what's known as gray scale ultrasound, the one that we know. It's a two-dimensional ultrasound images composed of bright dots representing ultrasound echoes. The brightness of each dot is determined by the amplitude of the returned echo signal. This is used for anatomy, for procedures, for everything. So B-mode ultrasound is the standard ultrasound that we use for every purpose. It is two-dimensional and composed of bright dots. The brightness of each dot on the image depends on the amplitude of the returned signal or returned sound wave. Insertion site for the lateral insertion site for the ulnar collateral ligament it inserts on the sublime tubercle again the ulnar collateral ligament inserts on the sublime tubercle of the ulna imaging features of grade 5 reflex on fluoroscopy it presents with uh, gross dilation of the ureter pelvis and calyces with loss of the papillary impression and urethral tortuosity. Again, grade 3 is gross loss uh, dilation of the ureter with pelvis and calyces with loss of papillary impression and urethral tortuosity. In grade 3, we have mild to moderate dilation of the ureter and pelvis and calyces with minimal blunting of the fornices of the 
collecting system. Grade 1 reflux, uh, mild dilation of only the ureter and does not reach the kidney. Etiologies for cardiac congestive hepatopathy. We have pulmonary hypertension, tricuspid regurgitation, constrictive pericarditis, restrictive cardiomyopathy, and congenital heart disease, especially those treated with the Fontan procedure. Again, differential for cardiac congestive hepatopathy include pulmonary hypertension, tricuspid regurgitation, constrictive pericarditis, restrictive cardiomyopathy, and congenital heart disease treated with uh, Fontan procedure. Now, the imaging feature include reticular enhancement pattern, similar to not nutmeg liver seen in Budd-Chiari syndrome. Budd-Chiari is hepatic vein thrombosis. Stage 3, Norwood procedure. The final stage of Norwood procedure for a hypoplastic cleft heart is connection of the IVC into the pulmonary artery. In stage 2, they connected the SVC into the pulmonary artery and the IVC still remained feeding the single atrium. This stage, we increased the blood going through the pulmonary circuit by connecting the IVC into the pulmonary artery. So at this point, we have both the IVC and the SVC emptying into the pulmonary artery. Fibrozanthoma. This is a general term to describe non-ossifying fibroma. Non-ossifying fibroma typically means the lesion is greater than 2 cm. A fibrous cortical defect describes a lesion that is smaller than 2 cm. Again, fibrozanthoma is a general term. It's a describe both non-ossifying fibroma and fibrous cortical defect. Non-ossifying fibroma is a lesion that is greater than 2 cm, and fibrous cortical defect is typically smaller than 2 cm. Hot cross bun sign. This is seen in multiple system atrophy, MSA, and this is due to T2 hyperintense signal from selective degeneration of the pontocerebellar tract. Can be seen in CJD variant. Again, hot cross bun sign is in the pons and it's seen in multi -syst multiple system atrophy, and it's due to selective degeneration and presents as T2 bright signal. Anterior bowing of the tibia with pseudoarthrosis in the distal fibula is commonly seen in neurofibromatosis type 1. Again, anterior bowing of the tibia with pseudoarthrosis at the distal fibula, this is seen in neurofibromatosis type 1. When we see fibula that is longer than the tibia, the disease that we need to think of is osteogenesis imperfecta. So, Fibula longer than tibia, osteogenesis imperfecta. Anterior bowing of the tibia with pseudoarthrosis of the distal fibula, we need to think of neurofibromatosis type 1. Again, in neurofibromatosis type 1, we have anterior bowing of the tibia with pseudoarthrosis arthrosis of the distal fibula. That is neurofibromatosis type 1. Fibula longer than the tibia, this is osteogenesis imperfecta normal systolic velocity in the carotid artery under ultrasound, typically 60 to 100 centimeter per second. Again, the normal peak systolic velocity in a normal carotid artery is 60 to 100 centimeter per second. 
what is the velocity now seen in greater than 50% stenosis. Anything greater than 125 centimeter per second is consistent with greater than 50% stenosis. All right. What's the velocity associated with greater than 70% stenosis? So anything greater than 230 centimeter per second, so 230 centimeter per second or greater, this is associated with greater than 70% stenosis. Just to recap, we said normal velocity in a carotid artery 60 to 100 centimeter per second. We said velocity greater than 125 centimeter per second is associated with greater than 50% stenosis. And finally, we said velocity greater than 230 centimeter per second is associated with greater than 70% stenosis. Normal ratio of the internal carotid artery velocity compared to the common carotid artery velocity. So typically the velocity ratio of the internal carotid to common carotid is less than 2. So the speed in the internal carotid is less than twice that the speed within the common carotid artery. If we have speed ratio of greater than 2, meaning the internal carotid velocity is greater than twice the speed of the common carotid artery, then this is consistent with greater than 50% stenosis. Now, if the ratio of the internal carotid to common carotid is greater than 4, that means this is associated with greater than 70% stenosis. Finally, additional measure that we can use to quantify stenosis is the indiastolic velocity. If there is indiastolic velocity greater than 100 cm per second, then this is suggestive of 70% or greater stenosis. Again, if the indiastolic velocity is greater than 100 cm per second, then this indicates 70% stenosis. Semilobar holoprocephaly. This is a range in between the alobar holoprocephaly and lobar holoprocephaly. So, what is that? So, as the brain is developing, we get separation of the right and left hemispheres. In this disease, the separation begins from posterior to anterior, and so the disease or severity of disease starts from posterior to anterior. And so we first separate the posterior, then we separate the anterior. Similar holoprocephaly is we have separation or some degree of separation in the posterior cerebral hemispheres, and the anterior cerebral hemisphere is still uh, not separated. In a lobar, then there is no separation; it's a single lobe. And lobar, uh, there is separation, but some degree of fusion or another manifestation. And this is the mildest form. The lobar is the mildest form. Again, semilobar holoprocephaly is some degree of separation in the posterior cerebral hemisphere. The anterior still remain fused. PVNS. What is that? PVNS is pigmented villonodular synovitis. Now this is a benign hyperplastic proliferation of the synovium within the joint. Most common location for PVNS is the knee joint. On presentation it presents with recurrent knee pain and swelling with brown or bloody effusion from prior hemorrhages. What is the manifestation on MRI? Obviously we just said the presentation is due to recurrent hemorrhages so we can expect that there is intraarticular hemicidrin deposit. Now, hemicidrin, what it does, or chronic hemicidrin deposit, it prolongs the T1 signal. Previously, we said that T1 signal prolongation, meaning dark T1 signal, and it does T2 shortening. T2 shortening results also in dark T2 signal. 
So what we see is dark T1 and dark T2 nodules on MRI with blooming on gradient echo sequences, so blooming artifact. Again, why we see both T1 and T2 uh, dark signal is because this is a chronic bleed. Obviously, it depends when we scan the patient, but typically there is always prior hemorrhages and we see the effect of T1 prolongation and T2 shortening. To recap the wording, when we say T1 prolongation, prolonged T1 signal result in dark T1 signal. T2 shortening means it's a dark T2 signal. T1 short is T1 bright and T2 long is T2 bright. In chronic hemisiderin deposit what we have is T1 prolongation, so dark T1 signal, and T2 shortening, which is also T2 dark signal. PVNS has really characteristic hip uh, and knee MRI and x-ray findings, so it's important to be able to uh, quickly identify this pathology. Imaging feature of thanotropic dysplasia. This is the telephone receiver femur, so the old telephones have a unique shape and this shape is typically seen in thanotropic dysplasia. I doubt that we'll see this in our lives, but probably pop up in the tests. Imaging features of esophageal atresia. Well, if the esophagus is atritic, then the child or the fetus is not going to be able to swallow the uh, amniotic fluid. So what we see is polyhydramnios, so increased fluid or amniotic fluid around the baby without visualization of the stomach because the fluid is not swallowed. Hypersensitivity pneumonitis, what are the acute or subacute findings and chronic findings? So what it is is a reaction or pulmonary reaction to inhaled organic antigens. Subacute finding include diffuse ground glass opacities, central lobular nodules and mosaic attenuation. Obviously these are not specific findings but these findings in addition to the clinical picture then that would be consistent with hypersensitivity pneumonitis. Chronic hypersensitivity pneumonitis would cause upper lobe fibrosis. Why upper lobe? Because this is an inhaled antigen and it so causes upper lobe pathology. Finally, similar presentation of upper lobe uh, fibrosis, we can see it with end-stage sarcoidosis. Again, hypersensitivity pneumonitis in the acute phase, we see diffuse ground glass opacities, central lobular nodules, and mosaic attenuation. For chronic hypersensitivity pneumonitis, what we see is chronic upper lobe fibrosis, similar to end-stage sarcoidosis. Most common location for germinal matrix hemorrhage, most common location is the caudothalamic groove. This is the state where we see the initial uh, germinal matrix hemorrhage. Now, most clinical or important stage that is easily testable and it also allow for seeing if you understand the stages or the grades of germinal matrix hemorrhage is really uh, stage 3. What we see, we see blood uh, extending into the ventricle with enlargement of the lateral ventricle. Now if the bleed would extend into the parenchyma of the brain that would be grade 4. If the ventricles are not dilated that would be grade 2 again. Blood extending into the ventricle enlargement of the ventricle and <clears throat> uh, this would be consistent with grade 3 germinal matrix hemorrhage. We said the most common location for germinal matrix hemorrhage is the caudothalamic notch. Imaging features associated with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. We see thickening of the interventricular septum. 
we see insertional late gadolinium enhancement. Now the pattern of enhancement for LGE is variable. We can have patchy LGE, we can have subepicardial LGE, and we can have midwall LGE. On CNA imaging or ultrasound, what we see is SAM, which is systolic anterior motion of the mitral valve. This, as the mitral valve moves into the left ventricle outflow tract, it can cause obstruction. Again, SAM and systolic anterior motion of the mitral valve, which causes obstruction of the left ventricle outflow tract. This is seen with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Again, to repeat the findings seen in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, we have insertional LGE, we have thickening of the septum or interventricular septum, and on cine or ultrasound we'll have systolic anterior motion of the mitral valve, which causes left ventricular outflow obstruction. Reuters syndrome imaging features. Now, this is the I can't can't pee, can't see, cannot climb a tree syndrome from MCAT. This is a sterile inflammatory arthritis following an infection, typically a GI infection. The most commonly involved joints are the lower extremity joints, most commonly metatarsophalangeal joint, then calcaneus, and to a lesser extent the ankle and the knee. And this has additional similar features to psoriatic arthritis, including the asymmetric sacroalveitis. Again, Reiter syndrome typically involves the lower extremity, most commonly the metatarsophalangeal joint, and has similar features to psoriatic arthritis, including the asymmetric sacroiliitis. Little League's elbow. Little League elbow is basically bone marrow edema in the medial epicondyle. This is result from valgus stress in, on the medial epicondylar epiphysis from throwing for kids. Other names for Little League's elbow include medial epiphysitis or epiphysiolysis. This, if it's acute, would be considered a Salter-Harris type 1 fracture if it's acute trauma. Again, to summarize, Little League elbow is medial epiphysitis due to valgus stress on the medial epicondylar epiphysis. On MRI, we'll see bone marrow edema in the medial epicondyle and adjacent bone. If it's acute, it can be considered a Salter-Harris type 1 fracture.